Hi, I'm Beck Rayner and this is the Military Wife Life Podcast, a podcast that celebrates, empowers, supports and embraces the women behind the military men by building connections, acknowledging our strength, focusing on self-care and our mental health. Let's do this together. This episode of Military Wife Life is proudly brought to you by Defence Bank. Serving those who protect us, Defence Bank have the largest on-base branch network with 37 locations around Australia. They have Army, Air Force and Navy covered. To find your closest branch, visit defencebank.com.au. Welcome to the Military Wife Life podcast, Minister for Veterans Affairs and Minister for Defence Personnel, Darren Chester. Great to be joining you, Beck, and I hope you're staying nice and warm in this wintry weather. Thank you so much. And firstly, can you tell me about the important role that partners play for ADF members, um, veterans and the Defence Force overall? Well, I think, Beck, it's an important point and one that we've perhaps not really recognised enough in the past about the, the support role of partners. They have obviously very important roles and supporting current serving members, but also veterans in the way they you know, keep the home front working while others may be on the front line. In many ways, I guess the home front is as important as the front line in terms of providing that support to make sure our serving members can provide the capability that our Defence Force needs. So particularly if an ADF member is deployed or, or taken away from the family due to their service commitments, whether it's overseas or even over the last summer, we've seen with the bushfire commitments and now we're seeing with the COVID-19 commitments, a lot of Defence Force personnel spend significant amounts of time away from home. So it's important that their partner, whether it's a male or female partner, is in a position to support them and keep the family operating and, and keep the day-to-day life happening, which is, takes a worry, I guess, a stress away from the serving member. But of course, then when they transition and, be, and become a veteran, if there's a, an injury involved sometimes, they're often involved in being a support person as well. So the partner plays a very important role in, in the capability of the Australian Defence Force. So can you describe to me what you think the typical 2020 ADF partner and family are like when you go before Parliament and speak and advocate on our behalf? In your mind, you're thinking of who? Well, I'm not thinking of anyone in particular, I must say, because it's such a diverse community now. The Defence Force obviously in, in recent times has become a more diverse organisation than it ever was before. There's obviously more female serving members now than in the past. A lot of Australian Defence Force personnel have reasonably short careers, so the average career is about eight years. So quite often the family we're talking about is a mum and dad supporting a younger person in their service. But then I guess more typically you'll have a situation where it's a, a serving member and a, a husband or wife and two or three kids on the home front. So I think more about the diversity of the community when I speak about the families and I try to listen to a diverse range of views because I recognise that not everyone's situation is the same and we need to make sure that those with children are well supported but those without children are also recognised in the way they're supported in their careers as well. So it's a very diverse community and I think that's one of the great strengths of the Australian Defence Force that is a very diverse community. What are your thoughts on the following? By providing families with the support they need, we create a stronger defence force, increase capacity, deployability, wellbeing and overall satisfaction for the member and the member's family. I guess you just mentioned that the average time that a ADF member spends in defence is eight years. Do you think that maybe that has anything to do with the support on the home front or the needs of the partner and their employment? Or what do you think is contributing to members being in eight years as opposed to having a lifelong career in defence? 
Look, I think that's a terrific question, Beck. I mean, for some people, a lifelong career is exactly what they want in the Australian Defence Force. And for others, they want to get in, have an experience, if you like, perhaps get some training, get some skills they may not have got in any other way, and then move on to a civilian life. But I think the point you made about providing families with the support, it does help create a stronger Defence Force and increase the capacity of the Defence Force. And I recognise that the military way of life is quite unique and prevents families with a range of opportunities, but also challenges. And, and the feedback from ADF members that I've received is that if the family is well supported, that can support them in doing the job they do for our nation. And I think that's incredibly important that we need to make sure that the home front is is working for the serving members so that they can focus on the job they're required to do. And there's always challenging times, I guess. But this year, for example, is a classic where we've seen personnel deployed unexpectedly over summer, so being called back at short notice, now being deployed here in Australia again to assist with the COVID-19. We've still got our equipments overseas and the Prime Minister and Defence Minister made some announcements in recent weeks about increased operational tempo in terms of areas like the South China Sea. So we're going to see our force deployed in ways that continue to provide those uh, those challenges for families. And I think it's, it is very important that as members of the community, as members of the government, we recognise we have responsibilities to support the serving members, but also their families and, and recognise that the family is a part of the capability and deployability of our Australian Defence Force. On the same note, when you're mentioning that Defence are increasing our capability and the number of areas that we're we're supporting and providing military or defence personnel in. Is the support and things for the family back home then being stepped up? Like how is that being balanced? Well, I think what you're seeing is improvements, steady improvements, but I, I don't step away from the fact that I think there's always more we can be doing. We've seen things like the Defence Community Centres being established around different locations. Uh, the Force Nets families provides areas for Defence families to digitally link up, which I think is good. Organisations like the Council of Women United by Defence Service are providing uh, policy advice to government. And we're seeing for the first time uh, the appointment of a family advocate, so the Defence Families Advocate, which will assist in providing more policy advice directly in the government on issues impacting on families. So I'm confident that there is more support being provided now than perhaps in the past, but I wouldn't think it's an area of public policy that is ever going to be uh, completely finished. It's always going to be, I think, need to be refined. And and the way you do that is you you receive feedback from the families who are impacted. You get understanding of their challenges as, as life changes and challenges change. You have to have a different policy response. But what we need to be able to do is, is give some assurance to people who are joining the Defence Force that they will be looked after and supported during their service and their families will be well looked after as well. And then on transition to civilian life, they'll also receive support even when they need it. So it's a whole whole of life offering we're making to young people who are thinking about joining up because it's such an important job for our community. So what do you see as the key issues at the moment for ADF partners and families? One of the key issues we face is around partner employment. It's all very well to be transferring a Defence Force member through a new posting, but when when that occurs, obviously the the family leaves behind their friends and support networks, and then the spouse or partner will be looking for a new job in a new location. Obviously, the transferability of the kids' education matters as well, so making sure that we're supporting with good mentoring to help the kids settle into a new school environment. These can all be quite disruptive and can have negative impacts, but they can also have positive impacts as well. I know a lot of Defence families who, who talk fondly of different times they were relocated and, and, the, and the new friends they met and the opportunities they got in those new locations. It's, it's a bit of swings and roundabouts in that regard. It's not always the same for every person, but I think supporting the, the partner to 
have transferable employment and making sure the, the kids, when they're involved, can transfer their, their education and, and still in the new schools are very important uh, parts of the, of the transfers. So I guess taking those key issues into account, what opportunities do you see for improvement in those areas or are you working on anything in the background in regard to improving those areas for partners and families? We're seeing things like improved access to partner employment. I think more support with the partner employment assistance program is a good thing. I think the Defence School Mentors has been positive. The, the Female Veterans and Veterans Families Forum has been put in place by my Department of Veterans Affairs to help design the DVA products and services. So I think that's a valuable part of it. The new Council for Women United by Defence Service involves families, so female veterans, spouse employment and, and families in some of the decisions we're trying to make. And and the advocate I mentioned earlier, the, the advocate is an announcement the government made only a matter of a few weeks ago. A person hasn't been appointed yet, it has to go through a proper approval process. But that advocate will focus on some of those policy and systems changes that we've mentioned. So I, I don't want to sound like um, I'm dodging the responsibility. I think there's a lot of things that have improved and are improving but I believe it's an area where we'll need to constantly be talking to families themselves as, as their needs change over time and, and as the role of Defence Force is, is constantly changing as well. Uh, as that changes over time, making sure those support mechanisms are in place is going to be very important. In your Veterans Affairs Budget speech on the 21st of June in 2018, you said it's also critical that we assure the broader Australian public, the corporate sector and business community that hiring a veteran is good for your business. Explaining to the business and corporate sector and the broader public about the easy employability of veterans is something I'm determined to do in my time in my role. We've seen an additional $8.3 million allocated to the Prime Minister's Veterans Employment Program to further develop, promote and implement the program to support veterans as they transition to civilian life. Given that, I guess, the 2017-80 a family survey reported that unemployment for partners is 14% and underemployment is 12%, and those figures, I guess, were taken and captured before COVID and pre-COVID, what kind of investment have you made in explaining to the business and corporate sector? Because a lot of the time it is explaining to them about the employability of partners. Like, what kind of investment have you made in that area? The biggest investment I can make as a minister and, and, the, and the government can make is really changing the narrative around what it is to employ a veteran or what it is to employ the, the partner of a serving member. And the reason I say that is there was a story to develop that uh, hiring a veteran, for example, you're likely to get someone who's broken or, or somehow damaged goods. That is a bad narrative to have, have out in the community. When we recognise that for the vast majority of people who serve in the military, they receive skills, training, develop their leadership skills, very resilient, are great problem solvers, decision makers. They're all skills that are important and, and that's why when they transition, we should be making sure that the corporate sector recognise that. But at the same time, during their service, we need to recognise that the partners, the spouses, have skills as well, which are easily transferable from one location, whether it's state-based to another state or whether it's a different range of skills required in a different workplace, they do pick up a lot of skills as part of their part of their you know, involvement in the defence force. So I think changing that narrative and, and, and making the point that hiring a, a veteran or hiring a, a, a member of the defence force's partner is good for our country and it's good for your own business is an important thing I can be doing. So there's things like the Prime Minister Veterans Employment Program and there's things like we're doing uh, working with the ex-service community on how we get more corporates involved in recognising the opportunity to hire veterans or to hire partners of serving members. These are all things I think the government can do because governments actually, at the end of the day, don't create many jobs themselves. I mean, we obviously have the public service, but the people who create jobs are in the private sector. And so we need to be encouraging them to recognise the value of the Defence Force and the skills that people have. Now that 
post-COVID, a lot of businesses have realised that they can have a lot more employees work from home and work remotely and it works just as well as having the employee face-to-face might open up opportunities if we do change that narrative for partners to take work with them to different locations because businesses have been prompted to allow employees to work from home. That is an incredibly important point and, and, and a great opportunity for our for our partners and, and our spouses of Defence Force members because obviously a lot of the locations where our Defence Force personnel are deployed to are in regional areas. Sometimes there are limited employment opportunities in those regional locations. Some of them are quite remote locations, so it makes it hard for the family to move. But if there's an understanding now that through good connectivity, so good telecommunications connections, that people can work from home, can be just as productive in some cases we're finding amongst our public service. Some of our public service have been more productive working from home than they were in their own office places. There's real opportunities for that to be a a new normal for us as a a nation. So I do take your point that post-COVID, as we deal in this coronavirus period, and we're going to live with this virus for quite some time, I think there's a lesson to be learned there, that there are more opportunities to work in remote locations, to work from home. You're not wasting hours travelling back and forward, stuck in congested city traffic. You could even be doing remote overseas work. So I think the nature of work is going to change pretty dramatically. And one of the unexpected beneficiaries may well be the partners and the spouses of our Australian Defence Force members. I guess on the same note, what goes hand in hand with that is also then enabling ADF members to have flexible work options, which they are in place, but it's not... I think the, within the culture, it's not seen as being a given that flexible work is approved. What's your commitment to enabling flexible work for ADF members to better support the well-being of the family and then also help partners stay in employment or further their career, particularly as Defence has implemented it pretty rapidly due to COVID-19? You're touching on this change dynamic we're going to be living with and experiencing going forward. And obviously the demands placed on our ADF members and their families, especially during operations or, or training exercise or high tempo periods, can be quite extreme. And so when members aren't working, they can request those flexible working arrangements you refer to, like the variable working hours or, or home-located work or remote work and that type of thing. But having the rules in place to say you can request it and then having a culture of actually requesting it, I think you've touched on a very different thing. So I think we need to recognise, and, and culturally this might be a challenge for us in the Defence Force, but also perhaps right throughout the public service, is recognising that having flexible work arrangements doesn't mean, you're sl- doesn't mean at all that you're slacking off. It might well mean that you're actually more effective at working in that environment. So I would encourage people who are you know, looking for those flexible work arrangements to have a chat with their supervisors to discuss what options might be available to them because at the end of the day, we invest a lot of time and a lot of money in training up our Defence Force serving members to be fit to serve and to provide that incredibly important role for our country. We don't want to see them leaving us just because we couldn't find a flexible work arrangement for them or their partners that uh, made their family life work better for them. Hey, Military Wife Life community, I wanted to take this opportunity to tell you a little bit about the Defence Bank Foundation and the great work they're doing in the defence community. The foundation raises funds to support serving and ex-serving ADF members living with injuries or illnesses such as post-traumatic stress disorder. In 2019, the sole beneficiary of the foundation was the Defence Community Dogs Program, a specialised dog training program which rescues abandoned dogs and trains them through correctional services. 40 service dogs have been trained and given to veterans since the Defence Bank Foundation was established. The program gives dogs, inmates and veterans a second chance at life. 
How do you think ADO families have fared during COVID with, I guess, job loss, reduced hours, isolation, separation, and, and domestic workload? A lot of families that are MWDU have been separated for, you know, months and months and have still not been able to reunite because of border restrictions and isolation. And I guess even the ADF member not having that time to be able to come see the family and then have the leave available to be able to isolate for the two weeks when they go back to their posting location. How do you think ADF families are faring during COVID at the moment? Again, it's it's going to depend a lot on people's individual circumstances. Obviously, for those of us lucky enough or been in a good position where we have retained our jobs and retained our incomes during this COVID period, the recession that's impacted other other parts of the economy hasn't hit us as hard. So having income coming in to pay the bills takes a lot of stress off families. So I think being secure employment is very important for our serving members and for their families. But at the same time, there will be serving members whose partners have lost their jobs and that they've relied on that income and that's uh, disappeared. So I think the government policy around the JobKeeper has been important for those, particularly in the hospitality, retail and the travel sectors who've lost employment. The JobKeeper payment has been very important to sort of soften the economic shock that's been felt by a lot of families. But I, I guess it's been a difficult year for, for a lot of Australians. I mean, we haven't seen anything like this, certainly not in my lifetime. And the, the way we look after our loved ones, the way we keep the vulnerable members of our community safe is a real testament to the, 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 the structures we have as a government, as a nation. We're fortunate that we're an island that's allowed us to isolate ourselves a bit from the rest of the world, but we're not immune from the challenges. We've seen the outbreaks now that have occurred in Melbourne and, and other parts of, of the country. It means that we're going to be living with this for quite some time. That anxiety and, and that stress will impact Australian Defence Force families, uh, perhaps even more so than some other families, particularly if they're separated, if they're living apart at the moment, that makes it very difficult. So um, I'm not trying to sugarcoat it. It's been a really difficult year for a lot of people and our Defence Force families have carried a very heavy burden. Again, you know, their summer was interrupted for a lot of our personnel. They were expecting to be on holidays for, for a month or so. And a lot of them ended up uh, a lot of them end up in my electorate here in Gippsland. It was lovely to see them, but we really knew they were perhaps better, would have been preferred to be at home, but they did a great service to our country and supported our community right on the east coast through to South Australia during the bushfires. And now there's a couple of thousand doing it right now again with the coronavirus support they're providing to the state health authorities. Of course, everything for defence is still going on in the background. Like things don't just stop. It's not like when those personnel go to those locations for those extra tasking, that when they get back that deployment that they were due to go on or that course that they were due to go on or whatever the case may be stops. Defence still keeps turning in the background no matter what. So then families are then dealing with that in the background as well. Again, I, I, I see that as a, perhaps a, an unexpected challenge that's come out of this, this pandemic, that having to call up Defence Force personnel to assist with border control measures, to help with contact tracing, assisting with logistics, they're, they're working at the testing centres. So they're, they're placing themselves very much at the front line of the coronavirus pandemic support measures to keep our communities safe. And I accept that when, when they get to go back home, the job's still going to be there for them. The work's still going to be there for them. There's not, not necessarily going to be someone picking up the, the workload in their absence. So it is putting a lot of pressure on, on our, on our Defence Force serving members and their families. And I think the good thing about being part of the Defence Force is you're part of something bigger than yourself. You're part of a big team and there is support available to people. And I, I don't encourage people, with all sincerity, I encourage people to recognise if, you know, if you're feeling the pressure, whether it's physically or, or mentally or emotionally, it's not a sign of weakness to reach out for a bit of help. I mean, we all need a bit of help from time to time. And the, the fact that help is available to people if, they, if they're if feeling the burden and they're starting to 
struggle a bit physically or mentally, that's important that we look out for each other, look out for our mates. There's no sign of weakness to say, I need a bit of a hand here. And, and I think we can all probably, during this really tough time, just be a little bit kinder to each other, to, to look around at our mates and make sure we're supporting them and helping each other get through what has been pretty arduous six or seven months as, as a country. And it doesn't look like it's going to get any easier in the immediate future. I guess the main way forward for improvement in areas that may be lacking is research. DVA puts out a list of their priorities each year. Researchers are then invited to contact DVA units with research project ideas matching those priorities. Units then can request DVA funding for that research. Would something similar be a workable start for DCO or the like to start investing more in more and varied research about families and partners? Because obviously, like we've mentioned, when the family and partners feel supported and they feel okay about being an ADF family, it then allows the ADF member to go forward and do their job 100%. So would that be a workable start to invest more in research about families and partners? I think, Beck, we have underinvested in this area of research in the past, but I do think the ADF Family Research Program, which is starting to examine some of the challenges that are specific to military families, will provide us with a deeper and a more a richer appreciation of the whole of military life cycle for our families. So I think that's a good start. But I, I accept the point that I, I think more evidence-based research to support any policy changes would be important. And it's an area that, that again, I'd suggest hasn't received the, the level of support or the level of invest in, investment that was warranted in the past. So I think it's, it is an area where we could do more. I think the family advocate and that person starts in the role and, and the other bodies I mentioned earlier, they've, they've all mentioned that to me, that it's an area where they think that we could improve if we had a better understanding of some of the challenges. So rather than relying on our, our gut instinct or what we think might be happening, having that research basis, I think, would inform better decisions. You have four kids. If you were an ADF partner, what support do you think you would need from Defence if your partner was deployed for six months or if you had just moved to a new location? How would you be juggling four kids? Yeah, that's a terrific question. I'm, I'm lucky. I guess that two of them have left home already. Two of them have gone off and started on their, their course in life. They've uh, <laughs> gone to university and, and studied allied health fields and, and nursing. So we're lucky we've got two on their journey of life. But I think one of the things you need and one of the things we should all try to do when we move to new locations is to try and involve ourselves in the community as much as you possibly can. So that's not really uh, something I'd expect Defence to do for me. But when I've moved in the past, I've joined local sporting clubs and associations to try and I get involved in areas where I have a, you know, an interest with other people. So that's something I think that works well. I think programs, the smart programs, like the Kids Smart, Teen Smart and Family Smart programs, Defence is running, can be helpful and supporting families. And if I had you know questions, I would hope that the Defence Family Helpline or the Open Arms Helplines for additional family support would be there for me as well. So I would guess I would be looking to build networks among not just current serving members, and their families, but also in the in the community I moved to, and and that's I guess one of the uh, the challenges when when you moved around a bit is you've got to be a great joiner. You've got to join into the different community organisations and sporting groups if that's what you're interested in to make those connections to the local community. Because I think that also helps in terms of the transition later on when people leave the defence force if they've stayed involved in in their areas of interest in the general community. It's not quite as difficult to move back to that civilian role. Can I just let you know as well, the SMART programs, I feel a, a pretty p- important part of being able to, because they're tailored for defence, but they're not they're not regularly offered. Like on the ground, they are not offered. My and, husband and that, came that, back from deployment last year and I, wasn't, I haven't been able to access any of those programs. And I've been at them to put them online so people can access them at any point at any time because that's the nature of defence families. But 
that's really good feedback, Beck, that where possible programs should be tailored to an online environment yeah. as well. But I, that's one of the areas too where, that's disappointed me as I've travelled extensively to bases around Australia is seeing that the offering isn't the same in each location oh, and that it, it, can be, it can vary enormously between what you might expect to receive in terms of support at the East Sale RAF base yes. to what you might get uh, in, in Darwin or or now or somewhere else. So I think it's important that we have a, a consistency of service offering so that families can get that, that health and wellbeing support and, and make sure they're actually being properly looked after as they move around the country. But yeah. you know, that's I guess I guess that's one of the another one of those challenges I referred to earlier where we need to constantly be improving. I could cry that you said that because honestly like the fact that, you know, my husband had been living away for three years MWDU, he'd been on a deployment the just before he came back and we've had no no information about transitioning him back to the home how that works with I mean he's been back for six months and we're still not transitioned like yeah it's a process but we haven't been able to access that family smart program one because it takes six months to employ a new fam- family liaison officer because of all the security checks so we didn't have someone in that role for 12 months and two because it's not readily available when we did have a family liaison officer in that role it would be if you can get enough people together i will put that course on no you should be running that regularly for people to be able to access it so and, and anyway sorry that's just I'm, my gripe but no, and, I, and, I, and I, I say it with all sincerity that when I've travelled around bases, I've seen variations in the service offering to families and that has surprised me. I expected that it would be a consistency across different uh, postings and that, that hasn't been my experience. And yeah. that's just as a minister visiting these areas on, on a, a short-term basis, I can understand why it'd be frustrating for family members who are posted to a new location to not receive the support yeah. that they'd previously been able to access. So I think that's another challenge for us and an area that your feedback is, is very valuable, particularly, yeah. I think, also about having those online platforms. But yeah. I really do appreciate that feedback. And I guess lastly, going forward, what are your priorities? How long is a piece of string when it comes to uh, these jobs in, in, in government services? There's a lot of things we need to work on, and, and we've touched on a few today. I think one of the real challenges for us is making sure uh, the Australian people understand, have a better understanding of the nature of military service and why it's so important. There really is no more valuable service an Australian can give to our country than to put on the uniform of the Navy, the Army or the Air Force and potentially place themselves in harm's way to help someone who may not be able to help themselves, whether it's at home or abroad. And that's a great service to our country. But in recognition of that service, there needs to be a, a contract virtually entered into between the serving men and women and their families and the Australian people. And that contract says, we'll support you during your service and we'll support you after that service. And so my role is to make sure that we fulfil our side of the bargain as civilians. And I guess, I guess my priority is to make sure that we continue to attract and retain our share of the best and brightest young Australians to take on that role, that we continue to support their families so they feel valued and that they can have a career as well if that's their choice or their family can be well supported. So it's a broad area that I work in. There's a lot of priorities, but I need to make sure that people are well supported both during their service and after their service. They know that they're respected and, and I say to them a very clearly, a very simple thank you for your service and thank you for the service that your families have helped you provide. And I say that because without people being prepared to do that, Australia would be a much weaker nation. We'd be exposed to an unsafe environment and our, and our national security would be put at risk. So we need people being prepared to do that great service for our nation. So I thank you as a, as a family member. I thank your, your partner, for his service, but also recognise there are many thousands of Australians out there today who are doing a great job for our nation 
and they may never get to meet the minister. They may never get to hear me say thank you to them. But I, I generally and sincerely say that to them because it's a it's a great and important part of uh, being part of the Australian Defence Force that you're able to help Australians during these very troubling times. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Minister Chester, and talking us through all that you're doing in the portfolios that you have. All the best, Beck, and, uh, and I'll start where I finished. Uh, stay safe and warm in this chilly winter, and I hope your family uh, gets to enjoy some quality family time together as soon as possible. I so hope you were able to relate or take something away from today's episode. There are definite ups and downs to military life, but let's get the conversation happening so we can see that we are all in this together. We are all just doing our best. So until next week, you got this. Let's do this together one day at a time. Thank you so much for tuning in. If this episode has touched you, helped you, or given you that extra confidence to keep going, to continue to hold down the home front, to continue to do all the things, I would so appreciate it if you could pop into Apple Podcasts and subscribe to the podcast and leave a review, a comment about what you would like to hear more of, or just some encouraging words. If you want to suggest a guest, I am always looking for new people to talk to. You can do that by jumping over to the website www.militarywifelife.com.au and clicking on our podcast page. I would love to hear from you. 